Welcome to the First Baptist Church podcast from First Baptist Church in Navasota, Texas. For more information, visit fbcnavasota.org. So we've been doing a, a three-part series called, um, or a four-part series called Here I Am. And, and what we're trying to understand is how to hear from God and how to obey God's voice with what we hear. Because that can be a really tricky thing in life. Um, we hear a lot of voices, a lot of messages in our culture, but we want to hear God's voice and God's message to us so that we can live in freedom and that we can have joy, that we can have abundant lives. And this morning we're on our fourth stop, and this one's different than the last three because the last three guys were characters in the Old Testament, and this, this character is going to be a character in the New Testament after Jesus has already gone to the cross, after he's paid for our sins. And this is kind of the boat that we're in today. I think we're going to relate to Ananias maybe even more so than the last three characters that we heard from the past few weeks. Um, when companies are hiring people, they usually put out what's called a job description. And a job description is exactly that. What are you going to have to do in your job to be successful? Are you able to do these skills to get the job done? And hear well done from the boss. Well, companies put that out because they want to try to weed out the people that aren't qualified for the job. Students, your teachers, they give you what's called a syllabus or an outline of the course at the beginning of the year, and they say, this is, ex if they're good teachers, they should do this, right? They shouldn't take you by surprise, right? They should say, here's what to expect, here are the grades, here are when the tests are, and this is how you'd be successful in this class. Now, what we tend to do as humans is we see the job description, and we like maybe about seven out of the ten things. Say, okay, I can definitely do those things. I don't really want to do this thing, but it's on there, so I'll do that anyway. But what happens is, what if, let's say you're working for, for somebody, and you have the job description, and the, and the guy lays out for you, hey, these are the things to, to do to be successful in this job. And let's say there's three of them that you don't do, and you come up with some extra ones on the side, like, oh, this would be really cool if we did this. And you start adding all these things, but at the end of the day, when you have to report to your boss, when you have to report to your teacher and say, this is what I've done, the boss is going to say, did you do those three things? And you might be like, well, I did the other stuff, and I, and I did these other cool projects that, that I wanted to work on that I think would be helpful. But the boss at the end of the day says, yeah, all that's great, but you didn't do the basic of what we needed for you to be successful in this company. And guys, I think with God, we kind of operate the same way. I think God has given us a job description, marching orders as Christians, as you will. But what we've done is we've added about 10, 20, 30 other things to the job description and said, this is what it means to follow Jesus. And we do all those things, but I think we've missed the most important thing that God wants. We've missed the marching orders. We've missed the job description that God has laid out for us in the Bible. Now, here's what job description is not. A job description is not, if I do these ten things, then I get the job. No, you, you've already been hired. 
You're already competent. Now you have to work out those ten things. It's not for God. We don't, he doesn't lay out a list of rules and say, okay, if you hit all of those rules, then you get to be in the family. We are born into the family by a relationship with God, and that's it. But now that we're in the family, what are we supposed to do? What are our marching orders? So we're going to read this morning what the job description of us Christians actually is, what we're supposed to do. So let's stand up. We're going to be in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 today. We can read this together. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. You may be seated. So, Jesus, this is, these are Jesus' last words before he ascends into heaven. And he says, I want you to go into the world. I have all the authority. Make disciples. Your disciples, make disciples. Baptizing them, teaching them. I'm going to be with you. But guys, I think so much in church, if we actually stopped and, and took a step back and said, are we actually making disciples of Jesus? Are we actually living out being a disciple of Jesus? I think we'd have to all take a hard pill to swallow. Because what I think we've done in church is we've added so many extra things. And we think, okay, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, I'm joined this group, I've gone to Sunday school for 30 years, I've done my due diligence, but are we, are we becoming a disciple? Are we making disciples like Jesus said, or have we added 7, 10, 15 things to our marching orders? Like, if you had a group of Marines that are about to storm a compound of the enemy, and their and their and their sergeant says, "This is how it's gonna. This is how it's gonna go. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. We're gonna do this, and you're gonna get it. I'm giving you the authority to do this. If all those Marines just kind of turned to each other and said, "We're gonna do it our own way," we think this would be the best way to do it. It's not gonna go so well. The same thing is with us Christians. And sometimes, guys, I think when we call it, Clyde says he doesn't use the word Christian a lot because it has this cultural stigma to it he says christ followers but what if like what if we actually went by disciples you think that have a little bit more weight to it than christians because i think christians we've had all the extra stuff around it and we you can make christian mean anything today but are you a disciple today and that's what we need to find out because god wants us to be a disciple and make it make disciples but before we jump into the the story today we have to understand where disciple comes from. And the way that Jewish young children grew up is going to put all of us to shame. Okay, I'm just telling you this right now. So the first level of learning in the Jewish culture was called Beth Sefer, and that was like elementary school for them. And what would happen was there was a rabbi at a local synagogue, and the children in elementary school would go to the rabbi and by, it's, it's likely by the end of elementary school, they had the entire Torah memorized. 
first five books of the Old Testament, they could recite it. They would hear it from the rabbi day after day, and they would learn it, and they would, they would mold, it would mold into them. And what would happen was, after this level of learning, the girls would go and work at the house, and if the guys were, were cut out enough for the next level, they would move on to the next level of teaching. But a lot of them weren't cut out for the next level, so they went and worked their father's trade. The next level was called Beth Midrash. All right, that's a nice name for it. Beth Midrash. And that's secondary school. That's like junior high. And what they would do in junior high was they already had the first five books of the Bible memorized, but then they'd start to memorize the rest of the Old Testament. They'd start to interpret all the wisdom literature, the Psalms, the prophets. They were, they were soaking all this in. And if they were good enough at the end of Beth Midrash to go on to the next level, that was called Beth Talmud. And Beth Talmud means you were a disciple of a rabbi. Now, what they would have to do is they'd have to go to the rabbi and say, Rabbi, I want to follow you. I want to be like you. And the rabbi would quiz them. They'd do all this stuff. And they would either say, after all that schooling, you're not cut out for this. Go home. Or follow me. And what would happen was these, these people literally did everything the rabbi did. They didn't just want to be a student to get good grades. They wanted to be their teacher. And as the rabbi lived and the students, they, they listened, they watched, and imitated to become like him. Eventually, they would be the teachers and do the same to the kids growing up in the system. So guys, when we hear of Jesus calling his disciples... This is so countercultural because the disciples, people would be wanting to follow the rabbi. The rabbi wouldn't be going around asking them to follow him. And the disciples, if they're in their, if they're in their trade, if they're, in their, if they're fishing, if they're being a tax collector, that means they weren't cut out for the level of learning. They weren't cut out for Beth Talmud. They were told, go home. And Jesus walks along the shore to these fishermen and says, follow me. And we think that's so crazy, but in those days, that would have been the highest honor possible. I get to follow a rabbi? And that whenever it says he left the, his father and the nets behind him, his father would not have been disappointed. His father would have been like, my son gets to go follow a rabbi. That was the highest honor. So guys, as disciples of Jesus, what does that mean? How do we become disciples of Jesus? Well, look at verse, um, we're going to be in uh, Acts 9 today. Acts chapter 9, if you have your Bibles. And uh, if you have the bulletin, there's a little follow-along notes if you want to follow along there. We're going to be in Acts 9, verse 10. In the, first, in the first verse, it says this, There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. A disciple. Now, what do we know about Ananias? Ananias probably was not a pastor. He probably was not a local leader in his church. Ananias was this regular guy that was a disciple that loved Jesus. And he lived up in this place called Damascus. And the first thing, guys, after what we've read about the schooling that they went through, after reading about Ananias, the first thing that being a disciple means we are 
is that we follow him. We follow him. Guys, a lot of us today, if we're honest with ourselves, we're not really following Jesus. We're following a pastor. We're following church. We're following our, our desires. We're following our comforts. We're following our safety. We're following our jobs. But are we following Jesus? And we're going to unpack this because, Joe, you're like, how do I follow Jesus if he's invisible? How do I follow Jesus if he's in heaven right now, sitting next to God the Father at his right hand? How do we follow Jesus over all the other voices in our lives? Here's what happens next. So he came to Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. That's the magic, those magic words that we've been hearing all, all month. Here I am. Here I am. So not only do we follow him, guys, but number two, we recognize his authority in our lives. If you remember the verse we read at the beginning, it says, Go, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Do we really believe that Jesus is the ultimate authority in this world? Do we believe our government has the ultimate authority? Do we, leave our, do we believe our bank account has the ultimate authority? Or do we believe that Jesus, the Son of God who died on the cross, God-man in the flesh, purchased our sins on the cross, died in the grave, rose again on the third day, seated with God, the Father in heaven, at his right hand of power? Do we believe that Jesus has the ultimate authority in our lives? I want to read you this quote by John Piper, it says this. Without this declaration of Jesus' authority, we could never venture confidently to make disciples. On what possible basis do we have any right to tell anybody they should change their whole way of thinking and acting and become a disciple of Jesus Christ? Only one thing could justify such an outlandish proselytizing of the entire world. That Jesus Christ rose from the dead has been given an absolute authority over natural and supernatural forces so that every human and angelic, angelic being will be given account to him. If Jesus had that kind of authority, then we Christians not only have the right, but are bound by love to tell other people to change and become his disciples. I think, guys, in church, we forgot that Jesus is the authority. It's not a pastor. It's not a congregation. Jesus is the authority. Jesus is in control. It says in one of, one of the verses that he literally holds all things together. He sustains life right now. He could snap his fingers and it would be done. That's the God that is sending us out. That's the God that has saved us. He has the authority in our lives. We go on to verse 11. So God calls Ananias in a vision, and, and here's what he says. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas. This is not Judas who betrayed Jesus, it's a different guy. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. 
since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias said, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So not only do we recognize Jesus' authority, but we have to go wherever he leads. Go wherever he leads. Think about it. Ananias, he's ready to hear from God. He's saying, God, send me wherever I'm your disciple. I recognize your authority. I'm following you. And he says, hey, you're going to go to this guy's house. And, and Saul of Tarsus is going to be there. Guys, if anybody heard that name back then, they would have. They would have shook. Terror would have fallen all over their face. Saul was arresting Christians. He was giving them the authority to be killed. And it, and it wasn't like in, in the world standards, he wasn't this, like, this really bad guy. He went to the Harvard of Bible schools. He knew the, the, the Bible better than anybody, any of these other Pharisees. But he thought it was his duty to God to end the Christian movement, to end the Jesus movement. I'm going to put it down. I'm going to put it down in Jerusalem, and I'm going to put it down in Damascus. So Ananias has already heard about Saul's coming to, to Damascus, and he's going to do the exact same things. He's like, I could, I could die by showing up at this guy's house. I could literally lose my life. Don't you know who this guy is? God. And he says, hey, I know who it is, and I'm actually going to change his life, and he's going to be my chosen instrument. To not, he's not going to end the Jesus movement. He's going to take the movement of Jesus farther than it's ever gone before. He's going to take it to the ends of the earth. And guys, I think a lot of times when God is calling us to go to people, it's always going to take us out of our comfort zone. We have to get the mindset out of our heads that this, this person is too far gone to accept Jesus. This person is bad. He lives on the bad part of town. You shouldn't go there. Well, what if Jesus is calling you to go there? What if he's telling us to step into those uncomfortable situations? Guys, when I was in college, I, I, I've told you before, I was a young life leader and um, I loved playing basketball, um, so I would play at this local um, spot in town, and I, and I met a few guys from the school that I was leading at, and um, I was not good at basketball before I started going to college, but in order to earn these guys' respect, you better be good at basketball, or you're going to get made fun of, right? So I had to learn basketball, and I was getting better and better, and they're like, Joe, I think you're ready to go to uh, Campbell Ave. I'm like, what's a, what's a Campbell Ave? He's like, we're, we're just going to have to take you there. We're not telling you what, what's going to happen. And I'm like, okay, uh, wh what are we doing? And so I'm, I'm giving these guys a ride, and we show up to Campbell Ave, and, I, and I'm, I'm driving through this part of town, and I'm looking around like, yikes, right? 
I'm going to stick out like a sore thumb. Like, who, who, who is this guy that's coming into our part of town? Who's this guy that's coming into our court? And I remember showing up to this court, and I'm not going to lie, I was, I was pretty nervous. I was, uh, I was about to pee my pants, okay? I'll just be straight up honest with you. Um, and I didn't want to get out of the car, and, but I didn't want to look weak in front of these Young Life guys. So I'm like, okay, I got to go. I got I to gotta get out. And I remember, I remember um, playing with these guys. And I remember as I started playing, you know, everybody's like, who is this guy? Like, he's got no game. I would get picked last for all the games. And, um, but eventually I started holding my own, you know. And when you, when you learn how to ball in the hood, you get some respect, okay. As long as you don't look stupid, um, you get some respect. And I remember, guys, the next two years, once, once a week, I would go to Campbell Ave. And I would, I would try to love and show Jesus to these guys in the hood. And, and what that taught me, guys, is like God was just saying, look, Joe, I'm going to be with you. You don't have to fear of, of what people are going to think of you. You don't have to fear about, am I safe here? Guys, God is not safe. If you read the, if you read the New Testament, he's not saying, hey, Ananias, um, Bring your sword with you. Bring your gun. Bring all this stuff with you so that you're protected before you go to Saul. He just says, go to Saul. Guys, I trust in God more than I trust in a gun. I trust in Jesus Christ, who's the authority that holds all of life together than my own safety and comfort. So, guys, we have to be willing to go wherever he leads. If God, if he puts something on your heart where he says, I want you to step into this situation. I want you to go talk to that person on the side of the road. You obey. You have, the, you have the God of the universe that's behind you and who's on your side, who wants to make disciples. Who knows? That person, I, I get tired of hearing that person could be the next Billy Graham. Can I just be honest with you guys? Billy Graham was amazing. But Billy Graham was Billy Graham. Somebody else is going to be called to a specific purpose and we have no idea what that is, but sometimes we put the present sinner lens on people and we say, that person's too far gone, that person's not going to get it, I'm not even going to bother. But God could be already stirring and working like he was in this guy Saul's life. Guys, Saul was broken at this point. As, as uh, Bill shared earlier, Saul was blinded, he was spiritually blind. He went three days without eating or drinking, he was at his lowest point. He says, I want you to go to him. We pick up the story in verse 17. It says, Ananias went, entered the house, placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight, be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. He got up. And listen, he was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Because Ananias was obedient, because he stepped into that difficult situation, do you think his heart was pounding in his chest as he knocked on the door of Judas's house? Could have been met with the person that has the authority to end his life. And he, and he walks into that situation, he puts his hand on him and says, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, and he says, 
I've come because Jesus is going to change your life. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. You're going to have your eyesight back. But more importantly, your spiritual blindness is going to be lifted. And Paul's life was radically changed. He baptized him. He, he started to teach him to obey. It says that Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Who do you think brought him to the, the disciples? Ananias. If Saul would have showed up on his own, that would have been a locked door. They ain't com- he ain't coming in. They know about him, but Ananias comes in with Saul and explains to the rest of the disciples, this guy has been changed. This guy has been different. And he teaches him, and what do you think that they were doing for some time? Do you think they were singing kumbaya, twiddling their thumbs, and eating bonbons? No. The disciples were teaching Saul, here's what it means to follow Jesus. Here's what it means to grow. Here's what it means. Uh, we're teaching you what to do. You guys remember the Great Commission? Make disciples, baptize them, teach them. Teach them to obey. Guys, Paul was experiencing this. Ananias was following the job description that Jesus gave. And Ananias probably wasn't present when Jesus was around. Somebody probably had to tell him. I'm telling you guys, there's no greater, you will have no greater joy in this life than making a disciple. I don't care if the Aggies won the national title. It would be nothing in comparison to making a disciple. I remember in college, I was at a school lunch, and I met this kid named Marcus, and he looked absolutely nothing like this Marcus. This Marcus had hair down to his waist. He wore all black, and he had this laugh that was like the creepiest, weird, annoying, funny laugh you've ever heard. When he would start laughing, he couldn't stop laughing. And you're like, okay, after a minute, you're like, let's, all right, wrap up the laugh, dude. Like, let's go. Um, and I remember meeting this kid, and, and I said, hey, you want to come to Young Life tonight? He's like, what's that? I'm like, just just come, man. You'll, you'll, you'll see. You'll find out. And I remember that whole year, I'd pick him up from his house and take him to Young Life, and he'd hear about Jesus. And I remember... We get on a bus, and we head to Young Life Camp in North Carolina. I remember that whole week, Marcus comes up. Marcus is lost, loster. He's lost, okay? I don't even know what to say. That's not good grammar. He's lost, okay? He is far gone. And I remember every single day, he would come up to me. He's like, Joe, I can't wait to be a Young Life leader like you one day. And in my head, I'm like... Marcus, like, you got to be a Christian first, man. Like, this isn't going to work. Like, what are you doing? And I remember I would always tell him, hey, let's talk about it after camp. Let's talk about it after camp. Let's talk about it after camp. It happened every single day. Well, there's this one day where Marcus forgets to take his meds. And Marcus was on four or five different medications. And all of a sudden, you just see Marcus flip to this, like, he was just having a rampage at camp. I have, like, I have no idea what's going on with this kid. I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> like, he's going to hurt somebody. And I remember that night, it was, it was the second to last day, they talked about the cross. And they talked about how there's forgiveness and there's hope. And no matter what you've done, you're forgiven if you trust and put your faith in God. And I remember as we we're talking in the cabin, I said, hey, if there's anybody that wants to talk some more, um, I'll be outside for a few minutes, and I was outside, and Marcus comes out, and what do you know, 
First thing he says is, Joe, I can't wait to be a young life leader one day. And I'm like, all right, I just got to I just got to shoot straight with him tonight. I said, Marcus, the only way that you can be a young life leader is if you're a Christ follower. If you've let him cleanse your sins, if you've trusted in him and for forgiveness of your sins, have you ever done that? And he said, no. Like, do you want that? And he said, yes. And, I, and guys, I, I've never felt the Holy Spirit more in my life. As, as Marcus was praying to surrender his life to Jesus, I was there. I was emotional. I was a mess. And I remember the coolest thing, and this kind of goes into the next point. The coolest thing was he was willing to tell anybody what he had done. He was telling the nurse when we went the next day because he forgot to take his meds. He's like, hey, I, I accepted Christ last night. The nurse was ecstatic. Our other leaders were ecstatic. We, we just saw him change. And the cool thing is he's getting married in, in a, year, a year and a half. He's going to a church. He's growing. And then and the next part is disciples send others to go. If you look in verse 20, it says immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the son of God. All who heard him were astounded and said, isn't this the man in Jerusalem who is causing havoc for those who are called on this name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priest? Paul, or Saul, formerly known as Saul, he is, he is telling everybody about Jesus. He is living it out. He's, he's not ashamed of, of his faith. And guys, sometimes when we're in church and somebody accepts Christ, we put them in a Sunday school class, they're in there for 30 years, and we say, you are a disciple now. Just because we've been in Sunday school our whole life doesn't mean we're disciples. Just because we've been in church our entire life doesn't mean we're disciples. It means we have to send others to go. The church sent Paul and Saul out. And people were not grasping it because Saul was a bad guy. But all, guys, all, sometimes all that we do in church is we, we have somebody walk an aisle, they fill out a card, they get dunked, but nothing else happens. Have we really made a disciple? Have we really sent them into the world to go make more disciples? Ray Vanderland says this. When the teacher believed, this is talking about the Jewish disciples, when the teacher believed that his Talmudim were prepared to be like him, he would commission them to become disciple makers. He was saying, as far as it is possible, you are like me. Now go and seek others who will imitate you, because you are like me. When they imitate you, they will be like me. The mission of the disciples was to seek others who would imitate them, and therefore become like Jesus. That strategy, blessed by God's spirit, would bear amazing fruit, especially in the Gentile world. Guys, I think for church, the, the metrics that we've used for success for so long are, is the attendance growing? Is the bank account getting fuller? Are people getting baptized? Are people getting saved? But if we really ask the question, are we making disciples? How many disciples have we made this year? And then further, how many people are leaving, leaving the church not mad, 
but to go make more disciples. I think we need to change our paradigm of thinking. And you might be like, Joe, all this, all this sounds great. You know, I need to be a disciple. I need to make disciples. But I have no earthly idea how to do that. And I want to give you two very practical things to start that process today. The first thing, even before the points, is a relationship with Jesus. Like I said before, you don't get, you don't get into the family by doing a list of rules. You don't earn. There's a lot of faiths in this world that say, I have to go and do X, Y, Z, then I'm part of the group, then God will love me, then God will accept me. Jesus is saying, there is no earthly thing in you that is acceptable besides my son, Jesus. You're, sin- you're sinful, you're broken, you're lost. But I can make you alive in Christ. And that happens in a moment, that happens with a decision, that happens with a conversion where God opens your eyes. And once you become a Christ follower, a disciple, how do we, how do we, how do we become a disciple? Well, number one, read the Gospels repeatedly. If we want to follow Jesus, if we want to imitate God, we have to know what Jesus did. We have to know who he is. We have to know our commissioner. We have to know the one who's in authority over us so that we can live in obedience to him. I'm telling you guys, this this radically changed my life in college when I just started reading through the Gospels. And we're going to give you something that will help you with that today in a second. And when you read the Gospels, answer four questions. What do I learn about Jesus? What do I learn about the other characters? What do I learn about myself? And who do I need to share this with today? Those are the four questions that you answer. And the second one is, how do I, how do I make disciples around me? I want to I show you guys that this is not rocket science. This is not this complex thing where you have to go through a Sunday school class, Discipleship 101, and then, then you get a certificate, and then you're a disciple. It means we need to pray for openness to opportunities around you. Pray for openness to opportunities around you. Um, I have a few youth that are going to help me um, pass out some stuff right now. I want to give you a tangible way of how do we start this discipleship process today. Not just the, hey, Joe, that was a great sermon, be on my way today. I want us to actually understand what it means to follow Jesus and make disciples. And what you're going to get, guys, is a sheet that has 90 days in the Gospels. It'll show you what to read each day in the Gospels. And I want you to, if you take on this challenge with me, you write down, what do I learn about Jesus? What do I learn about the other characters in the story? What do I learn about myself? What do I learn, or where do, who do I share it with? And then you're also going to get a card that I want you to fill out here in a second. And it's called the Future Disciples Prayer Card. And the Future Disciples Prayer Card is something that I want you to put on the flap of your car if you drive a lot maybe on your fridge, somewhere where you're going to see it weekly, daily. And I want you to write some people on that card. And the first blank is going to be your immediate family. Because, guys, when we make disciples, 
It starts with our family. It starts with the people that are around us. It starts with, um, if, you don't, if, you, if we don't disciple our kids and our families and we disciple a bunch of other people, what are we really doing? So in that first blank, you're going to list all the people in your immediate family, your kids, your spouse. You can list your dog if you want to. Um, that's a whole other conversation. In the second blank, you're going to list your one extended family member that you know doesn't know Jesus. And there's pens and there's little uh, pencils in your rows. Then you're going to put a friend that doesn't know Jesus. One friend that you know, maybe that you rub shoulders with a lot during the week, that you're like, man, I know that they don't know Christ. And then I want you to put a coworker and a neighbor. And if you're still in school, just put another friend. It could be a teacher. It could be anybody. And then finally, I want you to put somebody, and I want you to have faith in this. I want you to put a too-far goner. Somebody that you know in your life that is the farthest from God that you know. And I want you to write that down. And guys, what you can be doing as you see this list is, God, give me opportunities just to be a light to them. Give me opportunities to mention Jesus. Give me opportunities to talk to them this week. And guys, God is going to answer this prayer. God's will is for people to accept him, to surrender to him. He's going to give you the opportunities. It's just about if we're willing to take the opportunities with these people. You know what's amazing, guys, is as you take a few minutes to fill these out, is that Jesus was the ultimate sent one from God. It says, God sent his son in the world not to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. And guys, we are not going to experience Jesus more than when we're in the mission, living it out, telling others about him and making disciples. I'm telling you guys, you, Jesus will become so real to you if you take on these challenges. Right Now Media, like we talked about, is an amazing resource that you can share with your friend for free, too. You can say, hey, I want you this. This could help you with whatever you're dealing with. But take, you know, take another minute or two and fill that out. And just ask God to put people on your heart as you do that. Jesus, we, uh, we come to you right now and we thank you. God, that there wasn't anything in us that was worth being your disciple, God. There was no skill or talent or thing in us that you looked and said, I want that person. It's all because of your grace. It's all because of your mercy, God. As if, if we're a disciple in this room, God, it's because that you chose us before the foundation of this world to know you. And God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room that's these, these cards are passing to them, and they're like, I don't even know what is going on. But I know something's on my heart. I know that you're calling me to give my life to you today. You've opened my eyes. God, I know that there's some people in this room that we've just been going through the motions for so long. We've been doing the right church things, but are we doing the main thing, God? Help us make disciples, God. Help us see your kingdom come on this earth. Help us see more and more people just receive the joy of salvation.
forever. God, open our hearts, open our eyes to the people around us. Help, you, help us be willing to go to the places that we shouldn't go to. Follow you wherever you lead. Let that be above our comforts and securities and our families. God, let us obey you. Let us trust in you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.